Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Hi there, this is Denise Cooper and you are listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I try to bring you the best content, the best thought leaders, where they dig deep inside and tell you how they succeeded, how they navigated the changing waters that we call leadership and careers and personal development. With that, one of the lessons that I've learned is is that you have to take some time off just to refresh your brain, and I'm getting ready to do that. But don't worry, you're still going to get the great quality content that you've always received. What I've done is I've gone back and remixed and highlighted some of the best lessons in the 50-some-odd podcasts that I've already produced. And I hope you appreciate the richness and the stories that my guests have shared over the years and that you will get new, renewed lessons on what to do to close the gap for yourself. This podcast is a remix of my very first podcast. This, my guest is Nathaniel Austin. Friends call him Nat Austin. Currently, he's the chairman Currently, he's the chairman for the National Association of African Americans and Human Resources. Nate Austin is the president and founder of the Horizon Group, a human capital consulting firm specializing in human resources strategic planning, succession planning, talent acquisition, executive search, business coaching, and management leadership development training. I've got us, I had an opportunity to talk to uh, Nate. I had an opportunity to talk to Nat and really dig deep into his career, not as an HR person, but as the, as the first or the only or the one African-American in a community, in a company. What was it like? How did you build your career? How did you take the microaggressions and sometimes macroaggressions that were hurled at you as you tried to navigate at the career ladder in HR in companies that may not have been quite ready for diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as what did you do with your family? How did you support them through the transitions that he had? And what lessons can you learn if you listen to the story of someone else? You may not know it, but the way we learn best is through listening to the stories of others and following their role model, figuring out what worked for them, and then applying it to our own personal goals, planning, as well as How do we mentally stay tough so that we can succeed over the long term? And as you'll hear Nate talk about it, he always says, this is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And you have to be physically, mentally, and spiritually grounded so that you can go the distance. With that, my guest, Nathaniel Austin. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did and certainly as much as I did when I had to re-listen to it, to remix it, to make it worth your while. And founder of the National Association of Human Resources. And he had, had he's had a 50-year career navigating 
being the one, the only, and the biggest change master in some of the best companies as well as across the country. Have you ever wondered what it would take to have a 50-year career doing what you love to do? How do you make decisions when things don't go right? When you get punched in the gut, your expectations are just dashed. How do you get up and keep on going? Well, this brief podcast is going to just talk to you about how Nate thought about it and how he overcame the challenges that he was facing. And so I wanted to talk to you today because, you know, as I looked at your history, as I, as I thought about you, your work that you've done in terms of understanding what does it take to be successful in the 21st century and what is peak performance, both from a human resources point of view, but, you know, you've been in this business 50 years and you've done very well. Who wouldn't want to know that's how you did it, right? Well, I thank you for saying that. You put it in a perspective that really sometimes is a little bit intimidating even to me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's we rarely look. One of you know, one of the things I learned is is we're so busy looking forward, we forget to look back to see how far we've come. That's true. That and is it isn't true. until these moments that we really get to go, dang, I came a long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so one of the questions I really like to ask people is: as you as you look back and thought about this, what what is it that got you to stay in the game to to get up after you got gut punched? Because we've all been gut punched. So, tell me about you were gut punched. How did you get up? Oh wow! Well, when you say gut punch, I probably would put plural in that and say punches. Because we all, not just one, but there's been several. And in my career, probably I'm using a term, I think Frank Sinatra would say regrets. Well, this case would be punches. Too many in some cases to mention because I did change jobs. I changed careers. I changed industries. And in those, I guess, looking back, as you said, over the 50 plus years, being that pioneer, that person that was willing to take a risk. And I think when you say success, what does it mean? I think one of the qualities that you want to instill is I was willing and people should be willing in some cases to take a risk. I came up in an era where a person would, once they landed a job, they stayed. And I was not like that. So when you ask the question, what were some of the gut punches? I think the first one was when I joined the uh, state police in Maryland back in, and it'll be, as you said, 50 years. I applied for the police department 50 years ago this year, 1968. And at that time, African-Americans or people of color didn't join in record numbers police departments and let alone a state police department. When I joined that, I made the number 10. I was the 10th person of color to join that state police. So they oh, get wow. Gut- so you, so, you know, yeah. let me interrupt you. One point I yeah. want to make is, sure. you know what it's like to be the only. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I've been that role probably in a lot of positions that I've had, uh, being the only one or the first one of two or one of three. But uh, in the state police, I guess, when I came in there and my last name being Alston and I was the first one that many people saw, 
it it set another tone. And I knew that going in, I could experience that coming out of Maryland here. So the first gut punch was really was a classmate of mine, and it was really more so of a very subtle remark or subtle gesture, really, can't say remark. But we were in the State Police Academy dorms, and we were having our dorms inspected, our dorm rooms inspected. And like most semi-military or military operations, you stand at attention and you're standing beside your entrance to the door and the people are coming back to inspect your room. Well, I was standing in the hallway in the dorm and a fellow candidate, fellow trooper candidate was on the opposite side of the hallway and we were staring at each other. And he did something very subtle that I think really people have to be aware of. He looked at me in the eyes and did the elevator eyes. He went up and down. And Denise said something to me that I had to come right back with it. That first gut punch, when he looked up and down, he made this comment. And the comment was, they must have let the standards down to let some people in. Mm. And I knew what he was talking about. So I immediately looked at him and did the same thing, looked up and down to him and said back to him, yeah, I think they sure did. And he caught it that I immediately took that punch and threw it right back at him. And that really started that whole ball of those gut punches. Yeah. And, and think, knowing how to respond to them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, just, and, and to be able to, you know, kind of modernize that. That's part, right. You know, in the meaning of, you know, women in positions where, you know, they're not always receptive, that you're absolutely right. There is always a time when somebody's going to say, are you up to it? And I yeah. think it happens across the board, regardless of race or gender. Oh, absolutely. But I think, you know, we tend to internalize it a little bit more. We being women, we being people of color, any True. marginalized group tends to internalize that a little bit more. Yeah. So that's a great thing of you got to be ready that yeah. sooner or later, somebody's just going to test you. What are you going to oh, do? Absolutely. And I think when you mentioned that to another gut punch or really not, you could say that, was when I was a VP, my ending up my corporate career before I launched my own consulting company was when I was a VP of HR for a financial services organization. And I came there and the CEO who hired me left and the CEO that they hired was the former CFO. And we didn't get along. We basically mm. were somewhat like Russia and the United States back in the Cold War was peaceful coexistence. But the gut punch really was every time that I would advise her on a legal issue or labor issue, she would have to, the first time it occurred, she wanted to get some legal advice too. And the person said, well, here's what you should do. And it was exactly the same thing I said. Mm. Well, this went on for about at least, I'd say maybe 10 or 15 times throughout that five-year career. And the ultimate was an issue that occurred. And I advised her on how we should handle it. She then went straight to our labor attorney and he told her the exact same thing. And he said to her also, you really don't need me. Everything that I'm telling you, Nat has told you. And you're just paying an extra three, $400 an hour for information that your vice president of HR is telling you. And she was, he told her that while I was there. And mm. she looked at me and said, well, there's Nat, it's not that I don't trust you. 
I just wanted to have that feedback. And my gut punch was that. And I came right back to her. I said, Terry, his ice is colder than my ice. And she knew what I was saying. What did that mean, though? It means that whatever I said, she had to get the white lawyer to verify that everything mm. I said was accurate. And when I said that her, his ice was colder than my ice, she understood that, yeah, yes, you may say the same thing, but you're a person of color. You're black. I got to mm -hmm. get the white boy, in this mm -hmm. case, the white boy to say the exact same thing word for word. Now I can trust the ice is cold. Mm -hmm. So that those are the, that was the first gut punch early on in my career. And the second gut punch, not even the second, really, the ending gut punch, really, of my corporate career. But the, as you mentioned, being the only one and as you want to rise up to that pinnacle of corporate America, yeah, you're going to get gut punch. You're going to be challenged. Your credentials, your experience, your knowledge, all of that was challenged with me. But I did not give up. Mm-hmm. Two I things in, 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 in what she said is, one, I hear from many people who are not, you know, kind of at that director and above level, that it just takes a long time. And you mentioned with Terry, it was five years before yep. you hit, before you struck. Whereas in the first one, as soon as you got it, you know, you were right there with Right it. there. Yeah, absolutely. There are two things. One, five years is, is an infinite amount of patience to wait oh, for that oh. moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and second, it it calls about timing. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about both of those? Well, give me a little bit more. What do you mean? Well, you know, you in the first one, you could have waited and not said it right there at that moment. Now, sure. I think it's beautiful sure. that you chose to make that. But that five years, I mean, as I think about it, just from a realistic point of view, that was yeah. five years of you consistently yeah. giving her the right information yes. on time in a way that she clearly understood what you were saying. Sure. And well, yet you did not choose to. Well, I would say to you in that case, there was a little bit of selfishness on my part. Okay. And the, and the selfishness on the end was I had instituted a 401k program there. So mm -hmm. if if you throw the curveball, why did I stay? It was for the money. Okay. I put in a 401k program and I changed the whole vesting schedule to five years where you would get 100% vested. The money that I would put in and the money that this financial services would put in. Mm -hmm. So I stayed there long enough to be 100% vested and then I walked away. And so it really was you were weighing the risk Absolutely. of when... When to, and time to respond back. Yeah, right. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, okay. And, and those are in 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 a, in, a, in, a, in an organization where you know someone else does hold the keys. Yeah. To it, that is that is critical today it's because we're in, critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes back to we move on. Yeah, it goes back to the old cliche. Maybe you've got to pick your battles and do you lose or win a skirmish, but are you winning the actual war? And so, so what, I, what makes you, okay, so, go ahead. Let, I mean, let's pull it back a little bit more sure. in that, you know, people will say, you know, I'm not putting up with being disrespected like that mm -hmm. for five years. I mean, they sure. make that, that stake in the ground kind of sure. thing. And I believe, but you can, you tell me your side of it is the reason we can pick our battles is because we're clear on our purpose and we're clear on our goals. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think too, 
going back to what you asked me before, when, in the state police, when I had that, that was a fellow officer, a fellow cadet while we were in the training. And that re- that response was immediate. Mm-hmm. And and I had to look at, okay, who was the person? We were equals. We were going through the same class. We were going through at the same time. Later on, as you say, wisdom and knowledge comes in. Okay, I've got a CEO that we're going to have this battle. And it's more so of the immediate response to the state police was like a sprint. The five years was like a marathon. I had a goal mm. in mind. I had a purpose in mind. Mm-hmm. And sure, the battles were there, but I didn't let that get to the point of losing what the overall objective was. I wanted to complete five years. That's what I gave myself coming in. I accomplished that. And despite all the, as you said, and I agree, the, the punches or the pushbacks or the, in some cases, the devaluation or devalidation of your knowledge or your comments or your proposals, you you don't lose sight of what your overall objective. Mm-hmm. And even in those five years, I accomplished three major things in that organization that after really 17 years later, they're still in existence. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the permanency. Now, she's gone. She's been gone from that institution for probably 16 or 15 or 16 years. But the critical points that I put in there, like I said, the 401k, that's still there. I created a university training concept that has is still there and expanded even more so. And mm-hmm. then I totally reorganized the human resources department and put a different structure in there. That's still there. So those are three things, regardless of what happens with the people, the institution still remains. And the three things that i put in there as far as accomplishments are still there. So I can take a great deal of solace and comfort in knowing what I did do is still there. Hi, this is Denise Cooper, and you're listening to Closing the Gap. I wanted to take a moment here and let you know that one of the things that I'd appreciate is if you really like the content that you've heard, I would love it if you would become a patron of mine. I've got a page in which you can donate just a few dollars a month to help me continue to deliver great content. The information is in the show notes, and I hope that if you haven't already, that you'll hit that follow button on wherever you're listening to this podcast. Nate, you've had an illustrious career, 50 years. If you were going back and you had to talk to your 20-something, 30-something self, what advice would you give that person? Excellent question. What I did, and I would say to folks, one, read as much as you possibly can. Mm. Two, Explore. I mean, really explore. Explore the whatever opportunity, explore the universe, a variety of things. Just explore. Don't let your mind be locked in on one thing. And I guess in answering that, I give you examples, really. I love geography, Mm. for example. And I also had a goal in my mind that I wanted to, at least here in the U.S., visit all 50 states. How did you do just just not fly over, but actually yeah, yeah, yeah. see them yeah. and get to know them. I'm only two states short. Which ones? Alaska and North Dakota. <laughs> I've been all. to North Dakota. I yeah. haven't hit Alaska, and I had the same goal. Uh, same goal. Yeah, but here's, yeah, the, here's the other piece that you and I know. And one of the things that occurred, too, in my life, I had an opportunity to go to 
the Middle East, the U.S. and the Middle East in this in this way. One, I wanted to understand people's cultures. I wanted to learn, not just reading the book, but I wanted to experience. So I wanted to travel. And the more I travel, I, the more I listen and I learned. So it was part of that was part of my career advancement. I learned people. And I, I guess that to answer the question in there was reading, experiencing those type of things. So one of the things that I learned through my 50 years being in this industry and traveling that we as Americans and in most, a lot of cases, we people of color are very illiterate to other people's cultures. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I learned that. And, and, and let, me, let me slow you down here sure. just a minute because mm-hmm. not many people know that I, I actually went to college in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Okay. Oh, and wow. that was, I know, right? Oh, and that's I'm awakening. And I'm a born and bred Chicago person, right? Wow. And so when I left Chicago, I thought the world looked like Chicago. Right. I was 17. I thought the world looked like Chicago. Of course, there's black people everywhere because black people were everywhere. There was all kinds of people because I lived in an area that right. truly was a melting pot. Segregated, right. but it was but still, you pot. knew, you exactly, and you had that exposure to different cultures in the city, and I just assumed that. Well, when I showed up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and was one of 25, 30 black people in the entire state, Oh, my goodness. In the entire state. In the entire state. And the other side of it was is because at that time they were not, they hadn't close up met black people, Mm -hmm. we weren't feared. So it was one of the few times, in fact, many of the people who went to college there stayed there because it was the first time that they didn't feel like they were being discriminated because the person that they discriminated against was the Native American. Native American, right. And you could stand in the balcony and see how discrimination shows up right. every day right? and how it had impacted our mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine you going out there and they're looking at you and the others as a novelty. Wait a minute. Yeah. What we see what's going on on TV, but now we've got a person real life within us and your experience really in South Dakota, Sioux Falls is almost similar to us when I read, Washington, D.C. to Memphis, but we lived in a place called Germantown, Tennessee, Mm. and we integrated, this was something true, we integrated a Baptist church there. Mm. It was in Germantown. We We were looking for a church, and we just went into the area. We went to this small Baptist church. We didn't know it was black or white, but when we got in there, we were the only black couple, and really I say couple family because my son and daughter were with us and we went in there and we were the only african-americans there and the ironic thing about it when we left that church that day the pastor came to our house because we filled out the visitor's card he came to our house and he spoke to us let me fast forward really denise we we became members of that church and in 19, I think it's, oh, good, 1987, I was ordained a deacon in that church. Mm. The only African-American deacon to be ordained and the person to be ordained in that church. Mm-hmm. And the pastor, Dr. Lord Barker, I will never forget his name. He said to me when we came to visit, he said, we want to be an integrated church, but we can't be integrated if I don't have a person like you to join us. Mm-hmm. 
And we did. And the stories, when we got ready to relocate again, there were people in that church who was sad to see us go. And people came back to us and said, you really have educated us. We thought we had ideas about who African-Americans were because we basically were basing it on, and this is Memphis, Memphis, right next to Mississippi. We were basing it on our prejudices and biases and what we were told. But to see you there for four and a half years, your family, every day you were educating us. You also talk about the power of the people around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that no matter who you are, so in my situation, what I tell people about being in South Dakota is, in that moment, I learned that the power was really with me to decide how I was going to show up. And That's how right. I would show up is actually what either fostered inclusion, not diversity, because diversity mm-hmm. meant I just showed up. Right. But inclusion right. was how was I going to integrate? How was I going to have my social circle expand Right. such right. that the person that I'm grounded and know that I am to be was going to be able to to be in a group that really was curious about who I was. And sometimes they said it right, did it right, and sometimes they didn't. Correct. Correct. Yes. So, and, and when you're the only, as you and I have both been. Yes. You're, you're often navigating, or at least I was, I was often navigating this. Did they come from a place of ignorance, not knowing, or are they coming from a place of, I'm going to put you down? Or see all of the above. So share with me and the audience how you build a support system to stay grounded. We, we navigated in the sense of what you said earlier. We knew who we were going in there, my wife and I and family. And the strength was, okay, we're going to be ourselves, but we're not going to allow ourselves to be, shall we say, intimidated and all. And, and that really comes from who both of us were at that time. We were very strong and confident in our abilities and skill set. My wife was an educator. I was in corporate America. So we were confident. We weren't in that sense of being very arrogant. No, we weren't arrogant in that sense of, of maybe being above. But we treated and we wanted to be treated. And we looked at that part. We wanted to be equals. And we mm-hmm. carried ourselves where we were equals. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I would say to you, probably when you were in uh, Dakotas, we were in Tennessee. That part of Memphis, Germantown, we were still, we knew we were going to educate them. And I said that to my family, we're going to educate these folks because what they see, we're going to give them an alternative because now they're going to see it up front and in close. And we're going to be socializing with these folks and they're going to be interacting. And the more that they interact with us, the more they start coming over and going, wait a minute, I was told this, but I see this. Mm-hmm. And the more I see this, the more I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is going against my my whole psyche of what I've been told for years. Mm-hmm. Going back to what you said way, way back to what started this was in, in terms of my mental toughness or my sense of being equal, maybe not not being superior to them, but being equal is where I grew up. That was the foundation. I saw African-Americans, people of color, black and white, however you label, want to label it, uh, accomplished people. I saw doctors. I saw lawyers. I saw teachers. I also saw business people who own their own businesses who looked like me mm-hmm. and who basically n- knew how to navigate 
through the maze and I drew strength from them. Mm -hmm. I, I can say that I drew strength from them, especially my teachers. And so when I would look at a person who, of an opposite race, I never looked at down on them. And that mental toughness came over time that I didn't look down on them and I didn't expect them to look down on me. And when they did, I could play that mental tough game back to them. Now, in a lot of cases, as you said earlier, the gut punches were there because I was the only one. I was told that, hey, in some cases, you're too good to be true. I mm -hmm. can't believe that somebody like you exists. I got all those little remarks trying to put me in this category. Well, who is this guy? Mm -hmm. But you had to demonstrate that. It is a game that you've got to be, as I said earlier, mentally tough and physically. You don't let them... Because the stress level, no. You know who you are. You know what you're capable of doing. Now you've got to negotiate and navigate looking around at the landscape and say, okay, is there an opportunity here within this company for me? Who mm -hmm. do I know in that company? Who do I? And I made it a habit, really. Hey, let me go to lunch with that person. You say mm -hmm. what tools around there maybe. You went, it's relationship building. It's mm -hmm. out there taking that person or going to lunch with them or mm -hmm. maybe meeting them early or at the gym mm -hmm. or at the spa. Whatever the case may be, you want to build that relationship there because you never know. So you build up those relationships with key people. You build that relationship. So if you need to navigate later on, you've got that person maybe that can be a conduit, can be an advocate, can be anything to help you in that navigational process. So that's what I've learned in those 50 years. One, mental toughness. Two, yes, how to negotiate, how to win friends, support groups. When I changed jobs, I would always let people know where I am, mm -hmm. what I'm doing, giving them updates. Mm -hmm. because, bring them along. Bring them along because here's what happened. When I relocated from Tennessee to South Carolina, Loved the job, but my children hated the location. My old boss from Marriott called me and asked me would I come back. Wherever I would go, send a letter back letting people know here's where I am. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a wrap. And I hope that you have enjoyed this remix of my first podcast. If you liked it, please share it. If you didn't like it, share it anyway, because I guarantee it will be a conversation that helps you close the gap. Until we meet again. I'm Denise Cooper, and you're listening to Closing the Gap. Bye. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcast. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye.